Good morning. Good morning. If this is your first time with us, my name is Justice Froman, and I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad you chose to worship with us today. And you can go ahead and grab your Bible and flip to Jonah chapter 1. Flip on over to Jonah. It's a small book in the Old Testament, so you might need to use your table of contents, but flip on over there. And I'm sure Nathan mentioned that if you need a Bible, there's some in the back for you. And, uh, and so we're going to study uh, the book of Jonah today. And I'll tell you, this week has been one of the most difficult weeks for me in deciding on what passage to preach out of because I've preached nearly every passage in the week uh, in this week's reading uh, or the passage has been preached recently at our church. So I was like, God, what do you want me to do? Because I don't typically like to re-preach to the same crowd, uh, the same ideas. And so... Um, but, and Jonah is a series that we preached, uh, I preached last year, this time last year actually. How many of you were here for the Jonah series last year? All right, so that means that more than half of you didn't hear any of it. Praise the Lord. This is going to be new stuff for you. And, uh, and so I feel like after much prayer and seeking God on, on what to do this week, I feel like by God's providence we should be back in Jonah. And um, there's sometimes where God wants to show you something new, right? And have, sometimes there, it's the right message, but the wrong time. And, uh, and, and things hit you differently in different seasons and different years. And we encourage people to read the Bible every day and to read the Bible maybe through in a year or every two years. Just read through the whole Bible. And there's nothing new in there. It's the same stuff, but somehow... God tends to speak to us through the same scriptures. His word is living and active, and it just hits us differently at different times. So what I'm going to ask you to do is if you heard uh, the series last year, I'm going to have some new stuff today, but if you heard the series last year, to just ask God today, God, would you show me something new? God, would you show me something new in Jonah today? The difference from last year and this year is last year, I spent one sermon on each chapter, and this year, we're going to hit the whole book of Jonah. Now, I know you wonder if that's even possible, don't you? I wonder the same thing. <laughs> and we're going to find out together, okay? So, uh, let's open up Jonah. We're just going to read the first a few verses, um, and then... We'll pray because we're going to unpack really the entire book of Jonah today. Jonah chapter 1, are you here? Are you there? All right, here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. But when the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and fell fast asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, 
Lord, I thank you, God, just for bringing us together to gather around your word again and to hear from you from your scripture. And Lord, I, I don't think it's by accident that you've caused us to revisit the story of Jonah, the book of Jonah. And I just pray that you would breathe fresh life into uh, the message today, that, um, that you would use it uh, for your glory, that you'd speak to us, show us something new. Uh, Father, I pray that you just that you just maybe highlight or bring to light something special in each one of our hearts today through the through the book of Jonah. Uh, guide my words, guide my speech, give us understanding. Um, come and move in this place in a powerful way. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, Jonah, what I want you to see today is God's mercy. Uh, in a variety of circumstances, and the title of the sermon today is Quitting My Calling. That's what Jonah does, quitting my calling, and maybe you felt uh, that way before. And here is a classic outline of the book of Jonah. Uh, The first point is this, uh, it's one point per chapter. First point is this, uh, Jonah runs from God. Jonah runs from God. Let's just go back to it. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Um, who is uh, Jonah? This is what this book is about. It's a true story. Jonah was a real person who lived in a real historical time in around uh, 760 B.C. Um, he's mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 14.25, where he served as a prophet under the king. And so um, he's a real person. This story has been portrayed to be maybe allegorical or fictional or mythological because of the whale or the fish. Really, it's not, a, not told to be a whale, but the great fish. And so we tend to think of it as, um, as fiction, but it's not fiction. It's true. And this story is not just for kids, although we love telling a story to our kids because it's fascinating. Um, and dramatic, but it's not a kid's story. It's an adult story. It's, an, it's a story that has some really deep uh, themes in it. And Jonah here, his name means dove. Now, maybe, it's, maybe his name means dove because he's like a silly bird, right? He, is, uh, he flees easily. Maybe it's because he flew the coop. And so maybe it was a foreshadowing of, of Jonah there. Um, he's called, he says here, go, arise, go to Nineveh and preach to that great city and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. So he's called to preach to Nineveh. Now, who is Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This is modern-day Iraq. Um, the mo- it was one of the most powerful nations in the known world at the time, and it's Israel's number one enemy. And so there's some danger in Jonah going, maybe is this one of his motives for fleeing? The danger? Um, It's a large nation with a ruthless army. Uh, They were cruel and torturous in their warfare. Occasionally, if it was rumored that the the Ninevites were coming to uh, your town, there was occasions where the entire city would commit mass suicide to keep from uh, encountering these people. Because they, when they took over a city, they would rape and kill women 
and torture children. They would take men as prisoners of war, and they would take them outside of the city, and they would skin them alive and bury them up to their neck in the desert sand. They would pull their tongue out of their mouth and put a stake through it into the ground so that they would die a slow and painful and torturous death. And many of them would go insane before dying uh, because it was so uh, torturous, and uh, once they died, though, they would cut off their heads and they would make a nice pyramid of skulls at the front of the city so that everyone would know that this city had been conquered by the, the army of Nineveh. And so they were hated by everyone. So was, 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 uh, was Jonah afraid? Maybe. Maybe he was afraid. Um, I think sometimes we look at Jonah and we're like, how could he do this? How could you run from God's call? You had a clear calling in your life to go. And why would you not do what? And we kind of give Jonah a bad rap. But um, what if you were told to go into the very heart of the most dangerous city in the world and preach the gospel? What would you do? Well, you probably might run. You might run in the opposite direction. How different is Jonah's actions than us running away from an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who needs it or having an opportunity to show love with someone different than us, but instead we avoid them. What is the Nineveh in your life that you're perpetually fleeing? Well, God often calls us to do things that we don't want to do. We don't like doing. So Jonah runs from God. And that's not a good idea because you can't outrun God. And, um, and Nineveh was uh, like southeast and Tarshish, it says here. So he's called to go to Nineveh. But verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, find a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into the, um, he went down into the Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So Nineveh is a little like uh, southeast. Tarshish is the furthest place westward. It's the furthest place westward. It's like if God said, go to Florida, and you decided to go to California. Um, It's the furthest place in the opposite direction. Nineveh was about 500 miles. It was about a 30-day journey via foot. And um, Tarshish was over 2,500 miles, It was about a six-month to a year journey on a boat. And uh, so he's doing everything he can to get out of this. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest uh, on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. When the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo, this uh, was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and laid down and went fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? <laughs> Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you thought to us so that we may not perish. And so these sailors are, um, are freaking out. Now you have to understand, if it's a storm, that, now sailors, this is what they do for a living. They've they spent their lives out on seas in storms and if this is causing them to say, I think we're dead, it's a bad storm. 
It's a bad storm. Last night, Cammie and I, our family, we were, we were on our way home at night, and we got stuck. Did, y'all, did anybody experience that storm that just flipped through like, like that? And we were driving, and we're like, man, I thought it was going to rain today. We were actually talking about this. We were, man, I thought it was going to rain today, but I guess not. And then in a moment, it was like in the, it was in that like Rocky Hill area right by the Sacred Heart uh, uh, Catholic Church there. In a moment, it went from us driving along to cannot see. It was the most frightening driving experience I have had. To where it was not just like, man, this is bad. I literally could not, I like stopped in the middle of the road. Like, I don't know where I'm going. I can't see anything. We pull over. We contemplate. Do we just let this pass? And we decide we can do it. (laughs) We can do it. And so we get back on the road and we start going. And then comes the wind and the hail. And so we, 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 it was hailing on us in this storm. And we were frightened. We were praying. Cammie said, it felt like an eternity. I think it lasted seven minutes. And I was praying the entire time. When you're caught in a storm that is frightening, I mean, he's calling out to God. That's your natural response. And they're like, Jonah, what are you doing? Sleeping. How can you sleep in this? God sent a storm, but Jonah was asleep. He was physically asleep, but he was also spiritually asleep. That if you're not engaged in the mission of God, you will naturally just lull into a spiritual slumber. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. This is kind of like rolling dice or drawing straws. They said to him, tell us whose account uh, this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And this is like the moment where you don't want to say you're a pastor, right? Like, I'm, I'm in sales. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord and the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So he's like, I, I serve the God of the sea. <laughs> and then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. If you serve the God of the sea, why would you get on a boat? Yeah. So then 12, verse 11 maybe, they said to him, what is it that we should do to you? (laughs) That this sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this tempest had come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They didn't want to kill him. That, that didn't seem too good for them. Then they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and let us not uh, lay not innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So they, um, <clears throat> look, this, here's the thing. This, uh, this problem is between Jonah and God. God and Jonah have this conflict. But the moment Jonah now steps on these sailors' boat, now it's their problem, Right? And what we see here is that your sin, your disobedience, affects others around you. That your sin is not just a you problem. That we like to believe the lie that, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not, my sin is just mine. And, and it does, if it doesn't hurt anyone, then it's okay. Well, it does hurt somebody, right? Your divorce hurts your kids. Your addiction hurts your marriage. Your selflessness hurts your church, 
right? Your sinfulness hurts those around you because you don't live isolated. You don't live in a bubble. You live amongst community, the community of your workplace, the community of your family, the community of your church. The commu- you live around people, and whenever God's dealing with you, it splatters onto other people, doesn't it? That the consequences of your sin affects others around you. And some of you have experienced that, and some of you have experienced the consequences of other people's sin. And maybe you experience guilt or shame for that. I want you to know there's grace. That yes, God uh, doesn't want you to do whatever it is you did, and, and hopefully you've come back to him, but if that's in your past, there's grace for you. That God, even in this story where he's affecting, he's risking the lives of these sailors, he still shows grace to the sailors. That he saves the sailors. That he reveals himself to the sailors. It says in verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That their relationship with the God of the universe, Yahweh, was never the same after that moment. And so, yes, your, your disobedience does affect those around you, but God can redeem that and show grace to the people who your sin has damaged. And so, um, but then in verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. He appointed a great fish. How can this be? Notice it doesn't say whale. There's no English translation that translates this as whale. Um, whale is just kind of what we get because we're wondering what kind of fish could this be. Um, some find this, uh, this, this part of the story hard to swallow. Be- well, it's because it sounds a little fishy, right? It's a whale of a tail, isn't it? But the shark, <laughs> we have to wonder... What kind, of, what kind of fish could this be? Is it a shark? Is it a whale? Is it a whale shark? What is it? I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop. 18. Um, <laughs> could this happen? You know, there's been some uh, stories historically of people who have been swallowed whole by whales and, and, uh, and survived. There's one of a guy named uh, James Bartley in 1891. He was uh, on a whaling expedition. He was out there trying to you know, get the whales, and in that, trying to hunt a whale, they were on these little boats, you know, they have the big boat, and then they have these little boats that go out and kind of capture, um, harpoon the whale, and so he's doing that, and the whale's tail knocks over the little boat he was in, and um, one guy drowns, and he goes missing, and so then uh, later on, the rest of the crew uh, eventually catch that whale and hoist it up, and they're taking you know, the blubber off of it and everything, and they see a little bit of movement in the stomach. So they cut open the stomach, and it's James Bartley. And uh, he was in the fetal position. He was unconscious, but he was alive. And they nurse him back to health. It takes him a couple of weeks to get, back, um, to get brought back to health. And, um, but his skin was bleached white. His face, his arms, all his exposed skin was bleached from the gastric juices of the whale. So he spent hours and hours in the stomach of this whale, but he survived. He survived to tell the tale. But, um, and, and that was written up in some credible local newspapers at the time. Um, but then as I was kind of searching for, for some stuff on the internet here, I found that in 2021, off the coast of Cape Cod, a guy named Michael uh, Pickard, who was a lobster diver, was diving uh, for lobster, 
and all of a sudden he finds himself being swallowed whole by a humpback whale. And so then he's like, ah! He starts kicking and moving and elbowing and stuff. And the whale, you know, has a stomachache now, so he spits out Michael. You can go look it up, 2021, off the coast of Cape Cod. Um, and, uh, and so can a whale swallow a person whole? Absolutely, absolutely. A whale, I don't know if you know this, a whale can get up to 286,000 pounds. A whale can be that large. If you take... Um, a whale and put it on one side of a scale, it would take 39 elephants on the other side of the scale to balance the scale. Just the tongue of a whale weighs as much as one elephant. And so these things are are huge. And um, so is it The reason why it's portrayed as a whale is because that's really the largest fish that we can think of in our day that could maybe possibly uh, do this, perform this task. But we don't know. What kind of fish was it? We don't know. We don't know. We have to live with that mystery. But the point here is not for you to go, oh, yeah, that could happen. Like when he gets swallowed by a fish and stays in there for three days, it's not designed for you to go, yeah, I've seen that happen before. The, the goal here is for you to go, man, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. God miraculously provided, it says, or appointed this fish for Jonah for him to live in the belly of the fish for three days. Now, um, if that's hard for you to believe, um, I, I don't have an issue with this because I believe Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 says God created the heavens and the earth. That God created everything, right, out of nothing, and so if you can believe Genesis 1.1, then the fact that God created a fish to hold Jonah for a few days, I don't think is a, is a big deal. At least it's not for me, okay? And uh, if you choke on Genesis 1.1, there's going to be a lot of other stuff more than this in the Bible that you have a hard time with. Um, but anyways, so Jonah, he uh, runs, God sends a storm and a fish, and, uh, but you might not feel, so how does this apply? You might not feel like you're running from God. You might not identify yourself as, yeah, I'm running from God. I mean, act of rebellion against God. But what we have to see here is that Jonah, what he's doing here is he's resigning. He's saying, I'm quitting ministry. I don't want to be a prophet any longer. I want to be a non-profit organization. I want to quit is what he's saying. And so... This looks more like quitting what God has called you to. Maybe that's more relatable. Because I think many of us face moments and seasons where we want to quit. This happens throughout the Bible. There's a moment where Moses, when he was called by God, he wanted to quit. He's like, I don't want to do this, God. I can't speak well. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to do this. And he wanted to quit. But he still obeyed and, and went through with it, and God used him mightily. If you, in the reading last week, you saw Elijah wanted to quit. He did this big feat, as we talked about, the battle of the gods. He, he was the winning prophet in that scene. And in the next chapter, he goes and wanders into the wilderness and slips into a deep depression. And he's like, God, just kill me. Like, what happened, Elijah? He wanted to quit. But then God continued to use him. Jeremiah wanted to quit. Jeremiah 29, he says, I will not mention him, God, or speak any more in his name. He's like, I, I, don't, I don't really want to do this anymore. But he says, 
As it continues, God wouldn't let him go. His word, God's word, is in my heart like a fire, like it's shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He's like, I want to quit, but I can't quit. God won't let me go. I've had seasons where I've wanted to quit. Um, Maybe you have. Some of the best advice that's been given to me about um, choosing, deciding to quit is this. Um, If you feel like you want to quit, whatever it is, whatever it is you're wanting to quit, if you feel like you want to quit, mark your calendar six months from now and say, I'll decide then. Because a lot of times you feel like you want to quit when the tide's out. You feel like there's, there's mountains and valleys in life. You feel like you want to quit in the valley. But there's going to be a mountain coming. And so um, you might be in a very dark place today, but at six months from now, you're probably going to be in a different season. And so say, I will decide then. I'm not going to decide in the valley. I'm not going to decide while the tide's out. I'll decide later on. And what happens is what you find is that you end up getting into a better season. You end up getting into a better season, and, um, and you keep going. You endure in the things that God has called you to do. I've only had to do that one time. Only had to do that one time. I, I got an alert on my phone that said, decide whether or not to quit. And I said, what? What is this? I couldn't even remember the darkness I was in that caused me to put that on the calendar. I was in a completely different season of, of ministry. Six months later, it was great. And it saved me from heartache. And, um, and so... Don't quit. Hang in there. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That might look like not quitting your ministry. That might look like not quitting your marriage. Like not quitting your job. Like not quitting your kids. (laughs) Don't you want to quit on them sometimes? But not giving up on them. Maybe your kids have run away from you or from God and you're estranged. Not give up on them. Not quitting on your church. How many times do people just have a difficult season uh, in church and then they just leave and go to another church until they have a difficult season there and then they leave and go to another church. And it's like stick in the hard seasons and you'll find that a greater season comes. And let's stick in this together. Let's endure together. Let's not give up on one another. And uh, I think what we see here is that when we give up on God, he doesn't give up on us. I love the mercy of God here that doesn't say, okay, Jonah, you go, quit, I'll get somebody else. No. He pursues Jonah. He runs after Jonah. He sends this storm to grab a hold of Jonah. Let us not run from God, but instead, point two, Jonah runs to God. Jonah runs to God. Um, Chapter two. Then Jonah prayed in the Lord uh, of the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down um, to the land whose bars closed over me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and, the, and, the, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Notice in the first couple verses, Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish, saying, I cried to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah recognizes that the one who sent the storm is God, that the one who sent the fish is God that this is the discipline of the Lord on him for disobeying God. And Jonah cries out to God from the belly of the fish, and God hears his prayer. God hears his prayer. In verse 9, it says, um, With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He recognizes that salvation belongs to the Lord, um, that, the, that the fish is not punishment. The fish is protection. Whenever Jonah said, throw me into the sea, he didn't know there was like a fish that was going to capture him there. That was, kill me, is what he's saying. I would rather die than do what God told me to do. And so whenever he goes to die, kill me, throw me into the sea, God sends protection of Jonah from the sea. With this fish, God demonstrates his power to deliver. That if God can make this fish that will perfectly hold Jonah for a few days to save him from the raging sea, man, God is powerful to save. No one is too far gone. If God can save him from the storm, then he can save him from the Ninevites, can't he? What fear is keeping you from sharing your faith? The fear of people, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? What are they going to think of me? I think we have to see here is to know that God will be with you and that their salvation doesn't depend on you. Sometimes that's the pressure of sharing your faith. Like I have to have the perfect argument to convince them to believe in Jesus. But here he says salvation belongs to the Lord. Their salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on the Lord. God is the one who saves. And notice here also that Jonah expresses this faith in God's salvation before the fish ever spit him out. He's still in the belly of the fish. And he's expressing, God, I know that you will save me. And if I ever get out of the belly of this fish, I will serve you. Verse 10 the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. Don't you, don't you love that? That God speaks to Jonah, and he runs. God speaks to the fish, and he's like, okay. That's an obedient fish, isn't it? God saves him. I think what we need to see here is that when I want to quit, God hears my cry. When I'm in the belly of a fish, I cried out to you, God, and you heard my prayer. And you answer God, God. So when I want to quit, God hears my cry. Run to God. When we call out to God anytime, in the belly of the fish, not in the belly of the fish, at the rock bottom, wherever it is, that God is more willing to hear than we are to pray. And sometimes we think God doesn't listen, that God's not interested. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel like no one understands or cares. God hears your cry. And he's working all things together to save you. 
Point number three. Let's keep moving. Jonah runs with God. So we see Jonah runs from God. He tries to get away from the calling of God, tries to quit. God grabs a hold of him, and so Jonah then runs to God uh, whenever he experiences this difficulty. And then after God allows this fish to spit him up on dry land, Jonah then runs with God, verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message which I tell you. Um, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in its breadth. So this is where God wants us. This is where we need to be in the Lord. He wants us to run with him, not away from him. He wants us to run with him and work with him in building the kingdom of God. And um, it says here, an amazing line is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God gave Jonah a second chance. We serve a God of second chances. Like he doesn't just fry Jonah like a burnt piece of toast. Because he could have. He could have said, okay, Jonah, done with you. I'll get someone else. But he pursues Jonah and gives him a second chance. You might have run from God. You might have quit what God called you to and just know that God is offering you a second chance, or maybe a third chance, or a fourth chance. He pursues Jonah. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion uh, in, in the day of Christ Jesus. So God's started something you, and he's not willing to give up on you. And so whatever it takes, he's going to Work in your life to keep using you for his purposes. So Jonah starts with God. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, calling out, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What a simple message. Jonah's message in the Hebrew is five words. In the English, it's only eight words. Now, some commentators believe that this might have just been a summary of his entire message, but the point is that God's word has the power to save. How could this short message, here it is again, just in case you missed it. Um, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. How is it that God can use such a short message to save so many wicked people? Because five words are enough words if they're God's words. Five words are enough words if they're God's words. And the greatest miracle in this uh, story of Jonah, in the book of Jonah, is not the great fish eating Jonah. The greatest miracle is that an entire wicked city repented and were saved from the wrath of God by a simple proclamation of the word of God. That there's power in the word of God to save. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purposes for which I sent it and succeed in the things which I sent. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, how? By hearing the word of Christ. Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of of God for salvation to all who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. 
that there is power in the proclamation of the word of God to save the souls of the wicked. So you don't have to be clever. You just have to clearly proclaim the word. You don't have to come up with the best presentation. I have to be clever. I have to be wise. I have to be shrewd. Like, just clearly give God's word to people and see it save people. Verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed. They believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They repent. They believe. Here's the miracle. Verse 6, And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Let them uh, not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Remember their violence? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them and did not do it. God's mercy is so great that when we repent, God relents. That when we repent, God relents. That's what they're expressing here with their tearing their clothes, putting on ashes, fasting, this is, this is outward expressions of inward grief, grief over sin, that revival uh, occurs, revival is prompted by repentance. One of the greatest revivals ever in church history happened in Korea in the early 20th century. Its beginning always uh, gets traced back to one event. When the Korean church was small, just a few hundred believers in the whole country. At a prayer service, one of the Korean church leaders, Mr. Kang, he stood up trembling and he said, in barely more than a whisper, I have something to confess. I have for weeks harbored an intense hatred in my heart for Mr. Lee, our friend and missionary. I confess before God and before you, and I repent. And the room fell silent, as you can imagine. Did this man just publicly admit to hating the host of the conference? Every eye turned to Mr. Lee to see how he would respond. Mr. Lee was taken aback, and he could not hide his own surprise. But he quickly answered, Mr. Kang, I forgive you. What followed was a potent sense of mental anguish that fell upon the believers over their sins. Church members began to confess hidden sins, to weep over them, to pray for forgiveness. The meeting, which was scheduled for just a few hours, stretched until five the next morning. And other similar events led to a massive outpouring of God's Spirit. And in one year, 50,000 Koreans had come to Christ. 
This country where just before had only been a few hundred believers, the college campus where uh, this whole thing started saw 90% of its students come to faith in Christ. 90%! Today, South Korea is one of the most thriving missionary sending hubs in all of the world. And it all went back to Korean believers who said, when we took sin seriously and hungered for God. That's what it just went back to a simple, small gathering of believers who took their sin seriously and hungered after God. Many things are wrong in our world and in our church and in our community and our nation, but in reality, only one thing is wrong. We have fallen away from God and no longer love and pursue Him. How badly do we want the presence of God in our lives? How badly do we want God to revive us? Well, the question is, how seriously do we take our sin? How hungry are we for the things of God? And here it expresses itself in repentance and fasting. How can I know if I've repented? How do you feel about your sin? Do you grieve over your sin? Or do you make excuses for your sin. This is a miracle of God's grace to save this city. And we have to say, and who do you know who you think is too far gone? Who do you know who you think is never going to come to Christ? They're not too far gone. God can save them. Now, who's the person that you hope never gets saved? It's an enemy of yours, someone you despise. Hey, God's gonna, God can save them too. You want for them to get what's coming to them. You're like, I want God to get them, God, with their judgment and wrath to strike them, God. But God can save them. And look, God can save your wicked self too. So when you feel like quitting... Remember that God can do big things with just a little obedience. Jonah was just simply obedient to proclaim this very simple, short message to the Ninevites, and God saved the whole city. Point number four, Jonah runs into God, okay? So he runs from God, he runs to God, he runs with God, and now here he is again. Now he's running into God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, chapter 4. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is it not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, he's probably whining at this point, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city, sat at the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under the shade till he should see what become of the city. So he's like, I'm going to see the fire come down. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, um, and it made it come up over, over Jonah that he might shade his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of this plant. This is the note, note. 
the only time in the book that it talks about Jonah being glad. It's this little plant. I like this plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, and he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Uh, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left and also much cattle? And so Jonah doesn't want them to be saved is what he's doing. He's, he's upset that God is saving the city. Uh, his attitude was God's grace for me, but not for thee. Like, I want, I want you to bless me, but don't bless my enemies. And, but what we see here is the contrast between Jonah's sour attitude and God's compassionate attitude. Jonah, he, um, he loves the plant. Now, this is the idea of creature comforts, the things that make us feel good. It's the thing that, that kept the sun out of his face. So this is like our technology and our computers and our cars and our appearance and our intellect and our privacy. I like my privacy, things that make me feel comfortable and, and safe. And we love our stuff. We love the things that keep us comfortable. Um, and so this is like he's idolizing this little plant. He's prioritizing the plant over everything. And you might say, how do I know what my idols are? How do you feel? Here's how you know what your idols are. How do you respond when they're taken away? How do you respond when they're taken away? When, when this plant was taken from Jonah, he's like, just kill me now, God. How do you respond when someone drops your phone? Do you freak out on them? When, when someone scratches your car, is it the end of the world? When someone maybe confronts you about something, that's the end of our friendship? Like, what is the thing? How do you respond when the thing you love is taken away? Maybe that's an idol for you. Why didn't God just find someone else? Seems like Jonah's a difficult person to work with, isn't he? Actually, I love, I love this part of the story because it shows the honesty and the reality of this because sometimes you um, want to quit and then you're in a better season, and you do well. And then what happens? You get in another season where you want to quit. <laughs> like, this is life, isn't it? He doesn't just gloss over. He doesn't just come back to God. He's like, and he lived happily ever after. No, he slumped right back into it. And sometimes that's how it works. But what I love about this is that even when he goes back into this dark place, God still doesn't give up on him. Why not find someone else? It's because Jonah's problem was a heart problem. God says, every time it talks about God speaking of the city, it calls it a great city. And mostly because it's great in God's eyes. God has compassion for these people. These souls matter to God, but Jonah refers to it as a wicked city. God wanted to do something in Jonah, not just through Jonah. He wanted to change Jonah's heart and his attitude, not just use him to start a revival. And the way that he grabs Jonah's attention every time is by using suffering to accomplish his purposes. Notice um, there's four times in, this story, in, the, chap in the book of Jonah that, that um, it says God appointed. It says God appointed a great fish. It says God appointed this plant. It says God appointed the worm that destroyed the plant. And he appointed the, the scorching wind that made Jonah even more uncomfortable. 
that all of the difficulties that Jonah was experiencing in this book came through the hand of God to get his attention, to discipline him, to teach him a lesson, to, to bring him back to him. God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. And so the question we need to ask whenever we're experiencing seasons of suffering or pain is like, what is God wanting to do in me? What is he wanting to teach me? What is he wanting to uh, prune away from me? What is it that God is doing in me? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, the belly of the whale is orchestrated by God to accomplish his purposes because the belly of the whale changes our perspective. And so God is, is perfecting us through our lifetime. And so we'll have good seasons, and then he's like, there's something else I want to teach you. I'm going to send a scorching wind because there's something else you need to learn. You haven't arrived yet. And he's doing this to mature us and perfect us. We pity the plants. Like the environment, you would think the biggest thing uh, facing us as a society is the environment. Um, or, or animals, did you know that it is illegal to harm the egg of an eagle? But legal to kill an unborn child. Can't touch an unborn eagle or you're going to jail. But we can kill unborn children. Thousands every day, millions every year. I think we have some problems, some priority issues. The things that we value are different than the things God... So we pity plants, but God pities people. He sees souls headed for a Christless eternity. God loves your enemy as much as he loves you. See, here's the thing. We think of the people who are murdering uh, unborn babies every day and promoting that thing and funding that, all that stuff, and we think, God, get them, smite them, wipe them off the face of the planet. But wouldn't it be better if God saved them? What if God saved them and then they used all their energies of their life to build the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of darkness? What if that happened? What would that look like? God wants us to share in his compassion. So when you feel like quitting, sometimes when you feel like quitting, it's because you have, you have some people who are difficult. Jonah find himself dealing with people he didn't like. And, um, and so sometimes you want to quit because there's some people that you don't like. And... Um, I would just encourage you with this. When you feel like quitting, try to see people the way God sees them. The way God sees them. Have compassion. So let me ask you, do you care more about plants or people? Do you care more about temporary things or eternal souls? How do you know what you care about? What are your prayers filled with? Are you praying for plants? Or are you praying for people? God wants to send you into the mission field to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your classmates. And so I just encourage you, 
Maybe linger longer in that conversation. Maybe look for opportunities to have a, a conversation about faith. Maybe invite someone over to dinner. Hey, maybe before you invite someone to church, invite them over to your house and just have a conversation with them um, about the Lord. The final point today is this, and we'll wrap up with this, is that Jonah reveals a picture of Jesus. That's what the whole book is about. He reveals a picture of Jesus. The story of Jonah is about God. The fish is mentioned four times in the book. Um, Jonah is mentioned eight to 18 times. Uh, Nineveh is mentioned nine times, but God is mentioned 38 times in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is about God, and more specifically, it's about Jesus. And we know, one of the reasons why we know the story of Jonah is a real story, historical story, is because Jesus spoke about it that way. In Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to end with Matthew chapter 12. So if you want to flip with me uh, quickly, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Um, Jesus, this is where Jesus quotes, talks about the story of Jonah. Chapter 12, verse 38 of Matthew says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. He's like, dance, do a little trick. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except for the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up with judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they have repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Mic drop. Something greater than Jonah is here. Here's some parallels between the story of Jonah and Jesus. Jonah went from his post in Israel down to Tarshish to flee away from the will of God. Jesus left his place in heaven to come to earth to accomplish the will of God. Jonah found himself sleeping in the boat in the middle of a storm. And you know, Jesus also was sleeping in a boat in the middle of a storm with some fishermen who were freaking out in the midst of it. Jonah was thrown into the sea after the casting of lots. So they, were, they killed him, practically what they thought they were doing, after casting of lots. And you know, at the crucifixion of Jesus, before he died, the people were at his feet casting lots for his garments. Jonah volunteered to be thrown. He voluntarily was thrown into the sea to die so that the sailors may live. And Jesus repeatedly said, I willingly go to the cross. I willingly die so that through my death you may live. After being raised, Jonah preached for, uh, to Nineveh for 40 days. And they repented. And after Jesus' resurrection in Acts 1, Jesus spent 40 days proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jonah went into the belly of the fish, into Sheol, he says in his prayer. That's the grave, the heart of the earth. And in 1 Peter 3, it tells us that Jesus went into the heart of the earth to Sheol to preach to the captives. On the third day, Jonah was resurrected in a sense. He was given a second chance at life. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave to offer you a second chance at life. When you see the picture of Jonah, you see the substitutionary death of Jesus. So when you see Jonah, 
Think of Jesus because something greater than Jonah is here and it is Jesus. And you can be saved like Nineveh. You just have to repent and believe like Nineveh. And so some of you today, you are the wicked in this. You, you are far from God. You don't have faith in him at all. And he's saying, you're not too far gone. I can save you. I can restore you. You must just humble yourself. Repent of your sin. And believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. His death, burial, and resurrection. Some of you, though, are believers. But you feel like quitting or you have quit. Run to Jesus. Hold on, endure, for if you do not give up while doing good, you will, you will reap a harvest in due season. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines, and you need to get in the game. This is an incredible testimony of God's mercy. He's merciful to the sailors. He's merciful to this reluctant prophet. He's merciful to the wicked Nineveh. He's just his mercy is overflowing, and his mercy is available to you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you give us an entire book of the Bible to give us a picture of Jesus. God, that you willingly gave your life in Jesus and spent three days in the heart of the earth so that you could raise and offer newness of life to all those who repent and believe on you. So I pray that we would, that we would turn from our sin and turn to you and that you'd save us by your mercy and your grace. And I pray for all those who are struggling and they're in a difficult season, in a valley, and they want to quit. God, I pray that you would give them the strength to endure through the valley, to get in on the other side, that we'd learn what you want to teach us in the seasons of difficulty so that we can better serve you in the seasons of, of strength. So God, please... Encourage and strengthen those who want to quit. That they'd run to you and cry out to you and that you would hear their prayer. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.